0: Welcome to the Accessible South Africa Travel Podcast. This is a podcast where we discuss travel in South Africa and beyond for persons with disabilities and special needs with our host, Lois Strachan. Join us as we share inspiring stories of people who travel, exciting, accessible travel experiences, and showcase service providers who will accommodate those with special needs. And now, on with the show.
1: everyone, and thanks for joining us on today's episode of A Different Way of Travelling, a podcast on accessible travel in and beyond South Africa, brought to you by Accessible South Africa. I'm your host, Lois Stratton. Over the past few months, I've been becoming increasingly fascinated and, I'll admit, a little confused by the concept of universal access. What does it mean? For those of us who travel with special needs. Today on the podcast we're interviewing Russell Volmer from the company Cape Able who answers some of my questions about universal access. Then in the service provider spotlight we're traveling to a guest house in Somerset West just outside Cape Town. But before we get to the service provider spotlight and this gorgeous guest house Let's learn a little more about the fascinating topic of universal
0: access.
1: Today on A Different Way of Travelling, we're speaking with Russell Volmer on the topic of universal access. How are you doing today, Russell?
2: I'm doing very well indeed. Thanks, Lois, and yourself.
1: I'm doing very well, thank you. Thanks so much for being willing to come on to chat to us about this really important topic when it comes to accessible travel and the ability for persons with disabilities and special needs to gain access to a valuable and and full travel experience. So maybe just as a starting point, maybe we can ask you just to introduce yourself to our listeners and let us know a little bit of your story.
2: Well, Lois, thank you very much for having me. I'm really honored to come and share some of my um, hopefully worthwhile knowledge. Um, my life, yeah, journey starting in a wheelchair. I was 19 years of age when the journey started I had a diving accident and broke my neck. I was doing national service in the Navy at the time. And um, at a young age, I think you're quite flexible and adapting fortunately with strong family and great friends. It wasn't as traumatic as my social worker expected it to be for me, but it certainly has been a very interesting one for 40 plus years now. And um, a friend of mine many years ago, once asked me, Russell, if you'd not ended up in a wheelchair, where would you be today? Well, I wouldn't have done a number of things. I wouldn't have had a beautiful wife like Heidi. I possibly wouldn't have sailed across the ocean. I possibly wouldn't have done the Paralympic Games or even Olympic Games, but um, I sincerely hope I would have had a very good life, but since having been in a wheelchair, it has been a very fulfilling life for me.
1: Now, I want to follow up on a few of the, the, the things that you've raised there because our listeners will be going, Paralympic Games, Olympic Games, sailed across the ocean. Do you want to tell us a little bit more about some of those those topics, just very briefly?
2: Yeah, sure. Um, I'm very passionate about the sport of sailing. And at one stage of my life, I was sailing and then I had my accident, took me out. And uh, at a point my dad decided well we needed to do something and we then bought ourselves a yacht and i got back into the game which i thoroughly enjoyed and as a result of that uh, with some friends we went and entered the cape to rio yacht race in 2000 and we crossed the atlantic and when i got back from the rio race uh there was a message on my phone from uh the um, Disabled Sports Association, uh, Sascock, and what have you, would you like to represent South Africa at the Paralympics in Sydney in 2000? They'd been given a wildcard entry for the sport of sailing, and I was the only sailor they knew about. Wow. So that's how I was in, fortunate enough to be able to go and sail in the Paralympics in Sydney in 2000, representing South Africa. And I'm honored and very privileged to have been there.
1: That's great story. Wonderful to know that. Wow. And, of course, I first met your wife, Heidi, when she was running a restaurant. Her and her beautiful service dog, was it?
2: Yes, that was a great time in her life. Um, she's now many service dogs later. I think she's on. She now has Jade, who's a fourth service dog. So, uh, yeah, Heidi and I, we've had a great life and we've been very privileged to be able to travel which is, uh, I think, coming back on to the topic that we want to discuss today.
1: (laughs) Was that a very subtle way of telling me to stick to the topic and not get drawn off by rabbit holes, which I have a tendency to do?
2: (laughs) Well, it's actually really where Heidi and I have learned together to address and approach and attack and to help change, hopefully, the world within which we live, because Having Heidi with the service dog in Cavendish Square certainly changed the mindset of a shopping center that dogs for people who need them are part and parcel of their life. And Heidi was able to have many, many people with their service dogs and guide dogs visit the restaurant and come into Cavendish Square without any barriers, which is absolutely fantastic.
1: That's so true. Having said that, and, and maybe at another opportunity, we'll have a time to, to, to dig into some of your travels, possibly even on a shared podcast interview with you and Heidi, which would be a lot of fun. But maybe awesome. we should turn to the work that you do and really come to understand a little bit more about that.
2: Okay, the work that I do is that, um, I work in what we call the disability consultancy so the environment. And uh, with a business partner, we target um, the disability sensitization and the employment equity. But also for me, I've done a fair bit of work in the universal access um, side of things and advising architects and developers how to make the environment more user-friendly to those of us without disabilities. Unfortunately, I must confess that it's not a – a thing I chase around on, but I try and influence wherever I can. And um, you know, when opportunities arise, I dig in and uh, get really involved. And we like to make sure that the architects fully appreciate and understand what it is we're trying to achieve. As a result of that, I've very fortunately been involved with project with the South African Touring Grading's Council when it was around. And of more recent times, I've actually been getting back involved in the tourism industry around the UA standards and the projects and getting people to look at their establishments and making them accessible to those of us with all disabilities, irrespective of what they are.
1: Well, maybe we can then ask you what seems like a very simple question, but I don't think it is. What is universal access? What does it mean?
2: Wow. Well, the universe is everything around us, so hopefully it's the stars and the suns and everything. But when it comes down to the real world of us as human beings, it's to try and address everything that we come across on a day-to-day basis that we have to utilize. And for every individual, you need a home to live in, you need transport to get to and from work, You need to be able to get to the shops to survive. You need to get to banks to do your financial stuff and that. So when it comes to accessing all of these things, they need to be accessible without barrier. And um, unfortunately, the world is full of barriers. The World Health Organization have a very powerful definition of functioning. And it's one which they use and I use to define what is disability. And that refers to the environmental and, uh, and in, environmental and attitudinal barriers that a person with a disability may encounter. So, universal access is mostly used to address the environmental barriers, be it stairs and having ramps, um, having lifts having uh, verbal signage rather than visual signage and visual signage for the people with hearing impairments where verbal doesn't work etc cetera, etc cetera. so unfortunately the access in the most understanding and the UA thing is towards the environmental unfortunately the attitudinal one I think is the one that more affects the ability for those of us without disabilities to function, because where there's not attitudes or negative attitudes, we can all function. And I look at the way my friends took me from the very first day in my wheelchair, and we continued life as normal. If there were stairs, they carried me up and down. If there were transport issues, they would get the vehicle that they could put me in and all that sort of thing. So when the attitude is right, the barriers are actually lessened, and the environmental barriers are things that when people have the right attitude, they then think differently about what it means to make it accessible to every one of us with our disabilities.
1: I think that's so true, to realise that there there are those two components, and often the challenges that we have relate more to the attitudinal barriers, the, the, the sense that someone with a disability is unable or an incapable. So often we have to challenge those barriers and find ways around them.
2: Sadly, that is the truth in that. And, you know, just as we were sort of saying before we started the podcast is that, unfortunately, um, changing people's minds and getting them to think of things differently is so difficult. But we try. And moving forward, I think that where people see a ramp and they are open-minded, they then start appreciating and understanding why it is there and what it does for the persons who need it. I often find when a person parks illegally in the parking space, and I challenge them, sometimes they're very aggressive because they're on the back foot because they know they're wrong. Others, oh, you know, but to we we need to maybe bring an elderly person or something like that, and they think it's sort of their right. And you say, well, you may, but let's get it on the legal side of things where you've actually gone, got your parking discs or the person has their concessionary parking disc so that everybody is able to understand that you know why you're using it and that it also impacts other people if You can relocate the car and leave it available for the persons who are more needy of the space and the access um, to the buildings, etc. So sometimes you can have a positive outcome with that person and their attitude changes. Other times, sadly, you're dealing with a brick wall and those people will never change. And um, that unfortunately, there's a percentage of the population that fits into that category.
1: Fair enough. So why then should the hospitality and the tourism sectors be aware of the concept of universal access?
2: The tourism industry is one part where everybody should be able to go and relax and enjoy. And we live in a beautiful country here and we'd like everybody to be able to share the beauty of what we have around us. Unfortunately, much of it has been excluded for too long. And the tourism industry is aware that it needs to address accessibility. But in fact, the driving force towards the tourism industry to make changes is not necessarily because of the persons with disabilities. It's actually the larger population of people who are elderly and sometimes infirm, but they are wealthy. They have the money and therefore they want to spend it. And the tourism industry is changing because it realizes that its survival is based on what revenues it can generate. And um, as um, Philip Thompson who's a wheelchair user and also an architect and very involved in accessibility issues in South Africa has said, if you want to look at how the tourism industry has changed because of the elderly population and the cash cow that it represents, look at the cruise ships Mm -hmm. in America. They are all accessible. There's not one that is not accessible to a person with a disability, and that's across a whole broad spectrum of disabilities. So if we can use that as a tool to enlighten our tourism industry that the revenue that they can generate out of the population of people with disabilities and the elderly population because I'm, I'm getting on in years. I'm not deaf, but boy, I'm deaf when my, I, in certain circumstances because of age. Um, it's lifestyle that's caused it, you know, and you take people who, you know, you've been blind and people who need glasses, when they don't have them, they're blind. And you say, but this is it. We need to change the environment so it's user-friendly to all of us. And we go through these progressive stages of life, the ages of man, as we call it. But at the end of the day, tourism industry really is one that needs to lead by example. Because when people use a facility in a more relaxed environment, they actually, I think, think differently about things. I have just fortunately been able to travel overseas recently, and uh, of the three countries I've been to, Australia was, I think, one of the easier ones um, to travel to because I've been there a few times, and I, I know how they address the universal access. The other country was Germany, and I was booked into a hotel that had a perfectly Uh, Designed room around people with disabilities. However, they failed in one simple little area. They had a great bed, it was motorized, it tilted, it tipped, it did all sorts of things, except it was like a hammock and I couldn't get out of it when Uh I was in it. And, you know, it's so desperately sad to see when people are trying so hard to make it right, they miss the target. The last country I was at which was really an eye opener and I didn't expect any facilities yet I came across many facilities was Thailand. I went there for a sailing um, regatta and uh, I stayed in accommodation that a guy from Sweden travels to annually and he's in a wheelchair. The difference between he and I was that he travels with his mom and he gets constant assistance to sort of do most things. Whereas I'm an independent and the barriers that I had were the ramp was too steep, the mirror in the bathroom. I couldn't even see my face in it because it was too high. The basin was too high. They had a shower seat, but there was no grab rails. And at the end of the day, uh, we in South Africa, are in the middle of, the, of the, the, the development at the moment. We've got lots of great facilities, lots of great places which have accessible facilities, but we also have many that we'd like to bring up to speed and uh, the likes of our nature reserves, many of them have now got accommodation. I think Hilton and Loretta are testing that one out in big time. Um, I've been involved in uh, Two of Cape Nature's projects, Groot Fathers Bush, and um, um, the uh, case up the West Coast, that name escapes me at the moment. <laughs> but uh, we, we are making inroads into the, the environment around us, but it is a slow one. And we've tried to get our National uh, Tourism Authority on board. They have had many attempts at it, and uh, about 12 years ago, we had a big project going where we were trying to train the Tourism Grading Council assessors in actually assessing establishments for universal access as well. Unfortunately, the Tourism Grading Council didn't see that the pain that the graders would go through because... Many of them go in with a piece of paper, tick the boxes around, grading it as a one star, two star, three, four, five star, what have you. But when it comes to universal access, they need to spend a lot more time in measuring, checking out, ticking boxes is not just the solution. And therefore, it became a time and money issue. So many assessors said, great, we'd like to do it, but we can't afford to. So they dropped it. And we are revisiting it again. I'm not exactly sure, but at the most recent Grading's Council Assessors' Conference in Durban, there is a commitment to look at accessible tourism, again, for people with disabilities. So maybe we're going to have another injection of uh, enthusiastic people who are going to try and make the tourism industry more accessible for those of us with our disabilities.
1: So, for a service provider in the tourism industry who would like to be listed as or certified as universally accessible, what would they have to do? What does that mean? And you know, what would happen? How would they do that?
0: Okay,
2: um, I think there are two things. One is if they have a grading's council uh grading because yeah, um, many institutions actually choose not to grade anymore because it has financial implications to them and they don't always want to jump through the gradings council hoops but if they are graded and they'd like to extend it to a UA grading as well they must talk to their gradings council assessor but those that are not graded and don't have that entry If they're looking at it, there are many of us out there who are prepared to come and consult with them about how we can make their establishments accessible. And something I've told many establishments is don't try to be everything to everybody. If you want to attract people who are hearing impaired or visually impaired, and they are people that are out there looking to go to accessible establishments, with tools that are going to make their life easier, target them. Don't worry about those of us in wheelchairs. Tell us, sorry, we haven't been able to make the bathrooms big enough and things like that. Because a friend of mine who's deaf, Douglas, he and I have traveled a little bit. And we stayed in a room in a hotel in Mossel Bay many, many years ago. And um, it was accessible for me according to the standards because it had grab rails in the bathroom and space and everything. But it didn't have anything for Douglas. But Douglas didn't need the grab rails. What he needed was a pillow that had a receiver in it that if somebody came to the door, it buzzed or a flashing light or something like that. And the room didn't have it. Those things are not as expensive as changing the bathroom. So if we look at the establishment and say to them, well, what sort of market would you like to target? And If it's a person who they want to go all the way and accommodate all of us, they're going to have to put in um, tactile signage. They've got to put in audio signage. They've got to put in accessible routes and ramps. So that could cost them a lot of money. But if they wanted to pick any one of those, I don't have a problem with them starting and then getting into it. And then they can continue the journey as the revenue streams change. So it's not a, It doesn't have to be a bankrupting situation. Buildings that are not accessible to those of us in wheelchairs because of stairs often are buildings under three stories in height because our national building regulations do not require an elevator to be installed in those buildings. And therefore, when we're looking at employing people with disabilities, they cannot work in those sort of buildings if they need to work on a floor above the ground floor. Because it is an unreasonable accommodation to expect the employer to install a lift just for one person. So you know we've got to look at it in scales of economic scales, and if the persons are going to want to start and get onto the step ladder, we can help them with the journey. And from myself, I'm more than willing to get involved with any establishment that would like to start the journey.
1: So is there a kind of, I don't want to use the word, universal standard, an international set of standards that can be found somewhere? Or what is there that is used to assess that accessibility? Okay.
2: Wow. That's a a big one. Lois, the problem that we have is that you get a person who comes from the UK, let's say. So they've got used to the standards that the British authorities apply. Now in the UK, I think they've now got a Disabilities Act, which includes um, design standards and that. But I can tell you now that the design standards in bathrooms are not very user friendly to me because the one which we've sort of utilized or the ones that we've utilized in South Africa have been taken from sort of Canada and Australia, so they're a bit more, um, sort of how to put it. We've got used to them, let's put it that way, so we know what to expect. But when you go to the Americas, they have so many different standards across states as well, but they have an act and it says that if your building is supposed to be accessible and it isn't, you can go to court. In South Africa, we don't have the power mm-hmm. of the law behind us to change it yet. But we do have the building regulations, which are a recommendation of how to accommodate. So right from day one, when an architect designs a building that's going to be accessible to the general pub- public, um, they need to accommodate all of us. And it, 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 uh, as I say, it's not legislated that they must but the recommendation from the building regulation says you should. So we are then, we can go and say, well, why didn't you do it? And they say, oh, well, it was budgetary, or no, we didn't think about it. We can sue them by saying that they're infringing our right Mm -hmm. as an individual to access their properties or what have you. But that means we have to incur legal costs. If we had an act in South Africa that said you must make it accessible, we wouldn't have to jump through so many hoops and many uh, establishments would make themselves accessible. So we've got the national building regulations with the Section S, which has the guidelines for making everything accessible. Architects are supposed to incorporate this in all their developments, but they're not prescribed to by law to do it. Interesting. Hopefully it's going to change, yeah. But coming back to universal, The world, every country, takes it differently, unfortunately.
1: Which kind of makes a fair amount of sense because one of the biggest challenges that I have with the concept of universal access is that our needs differ from one disability to another and even for different individuals with the same disabilities. So finding standards to accommodate each and every one of us completely and totally is almost a staggering concept
2: it's more than staggering Lois it's actually impossible because you know I take myself and I can compare myself to say Ari Sirlis, and both of us are very very able quadriplegics but people look at me and go like well you're not really quadriplegic but I said my Break is exactly the same as Ari's mm-hmm. and I've got a bit of hand function like Ari has and what have you. But we're different, and we have different needs, and we can do different things based on our lifestyles, I'm enthusiasm for gymming, I'm not a gym person. But at the end of the day, to accommodate every single individual is impossible. But that's, that's people generally, that's the whole population of the world. We cannot accommodate everybody's needs. I'm happy to compromise when I see people are trying hard to accommodate me. And if it's something that I think is more generally user-friendly to any person with a disability, I would recommend it. However, if I have something which is very specific to my need, I know that or I believe, and this is, I think, where the attitudinal barriers come in, some people are non-compromising. I'm compromising and I think many of us are because we understand that the world cannot accommodate all our individual needs
1: so what I'm hearing then is the recommendation that even if a tourism service provider if the venue is certified as being universally accessible it's still better to contact them and just double check that they are able to accommodate the specific needs that we each have.
2: Yes, it is good. However, what we did try and do here in the South African standards, as we were trying to apply them to the Gradings Council, was to make the grading intelligent enough that when you saw it, you could trust a few things. I don't use the word assume because we know what this word assume
0: means.
2: (laughs) However, when it comes down to being able to say that a person with a wheelchair can use a building, if it's able to, if we believe that they meet all the criteria for wheelchair accessibility, they can then display the access sign. But we're saying that if they can't, because there are barriers in or areas which are not accessible, and there are areas which we would need to get to, then it, it's a no-go. They just cannot display it. But if they have intelligent access routes that you, with your visual impairments, can uh, use, um, and they uh, meet the, the the standards, they could then display that people with visual impairments our buildings, our, our facilities are accessible people with hearing impairments, you know, if you take a person who's hearing and visually impaired, that's possibly one of the very challenging combinations and how many facilities are ever going to be able to manage and address those individuals' needs. So, you know, we can go the multiple disability individual, actually the ones that are setting the the highest demand. And we need to see if we can start meeting some of those. But I think the standards that we have available at the moment are still too narrow and too categorized to the disabilities individually rather than a, a mixture of them.
1: It's an interesting it, perspective, an interesting thought.
2: Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a very difficult one. I, I met a gentleman who is visually and hearing impaired and an absolute mind-blowing experience for me. And with my friend Douglas, who's deaf, we were communicating and I learned, I've sat in a wheelchair for 40 years, I've been involved in support for people with disabilities, I've been involved in the disability movement, but even I have to realize that I'm ignorant of certain needs of individuals who have disabilities and I hope that I never stop learning how I can make the world better for those people as well and they teaching me.
1: I It's something I'm finding is one of the things that I love best about doing this podcast is I'm getting to meet and learn from people across the spectrum of disabilities and it's it's a constant learning experience for me and it's been so fascinating and so enjoyable and I'm meeting some incredible people through this process so I can totally understand that and I think part of that as well is attitudinal as well that, you know, that curiosity I think is so important because unless we as a community are aware of what each other needs it's very hard for us to stand together as a single community of persons with disabilities which is ultimately where we have our greatest power.
2: Correct. Unfortunately, we have over the time, many years now, not been able to get the disability sector to stand as one. Unfortunately, even within certain disabilities, there's fracturing because of vested interests and things like that. If we could only break those barriers down and stand as one, we would change the world.
1: I'm going to resist the temptation to dig into that subject and bring us back to the the concept of travel and tourism industry and universal access. Russell, What advice would you give to a service provider who wants to start finding out more about having themselves listed as being universally accessible?
2: starting point is the fact that they've actually express the will to change their environment to make it accessible. I think that uh, if if all of them start thinking like that, then they can come to a couple of organizations that can point them in the direction of those of us who can assist them. Um, You know, I've got a little business, and um, you can, if you want to share my details out of the Cape Able brand, we can get involved with people who want to start and we can look at their facilities and introduce them to the standards that are required. And then they can look at budgets and we can take it forward. Um, as I mentioned earlier on, around the Gradings Council, there's there's some standards that they can check to see how close they meet them. And uh, when they don't, then the Gradings Council can refer on. If they talk to anybody with a disability, many people with their disabilities do know of uh, people like myself and that out there who are able to consult with them. So I think it's let's start with the will and then we will make and direct them in the way. And uh, it's a case of let's take it slowly. We don't have to change it overnight, but they can Lead by wishing to get involved.
1: Great, and maybe this would be a good time then to say, would you like to share your contact details so people can reach out to you if they wish?
2: Sure, with pleasure, Lois. um They can email me at Russell, and that's Russell with two S's, two L's at Cape Able, um, and that's a play on words, Cape Za. So. Russell at capeable.co.za is my email address. I don't know if you want to share a mobile number as well. I'm happy to do that.
1: Whatever you would like to share, if you've got a web address as well or Facebook um, contact, anything like that?
2: We do have a web address, which is www.capeable.co.za. It's not a very active site, but it does have our basic information and it shares about our consultation around UA and uh, the training uh, sensitization workshops, which Mark and I do. And uh, yeah, I don't mind sharing my mobile number at 082 So if anybody wants to WhatsApp me, phone me, or what have you, I'm more than willing to chat with them.
1: Thank you very much, Russell. That's amazing. So, a final question then, and I know this is probably a a very hard question to answer but what do you see as the future of our tourism and hospitality industries when it comes to being or to making themselves more accommodating to persons with special needs?
2: I believe that in South Africa there is a big will to be able to accommodate all of us with our disabilities. And it's just, unfortunately, it takes time to work our way through all of it. I go back to one of my initial issues when I first got involved in accessibility around us with our disabilities was the shopping centers. And pretty much you go to every single shopping center in the world today, you will find parking bays, you'll find accessible toilets, You'll find many, many facilities there. I think they fail when it comes to folk with visual impairments because some of that is kind of uh, a bit beyond their perceptions. But, you know, generally, we used to be challenged by the centers when we said to them, make it accessible to people with disabilities. They said, well, how many people with disabilities come? Once they started making those facilities available, where did the people come they just came out as woodwork, and there were suddenly hundreds. I remember going to Tiger Valley Center and couldn't get a parking space because they were all full. And I was very happy to see most of them legally full.
1: <laughs>
2: yeah. So, you know, once we start and we start moving, you know, Table Mountain is looking at making itself more accessible. Um, the waterfront in Cape Town mm. still has a way to go, but it's done a big job of trying to accommodate our needs and that. Um, The hotels in South Africa, many of them have rooms that are accessible. They sometimes miss the targets because they hand over the development um, to to installing all the facilities to um, laborers who don't actually understand. And sometimes, you know, the grab rails at the wrong height or at the wrong angle in the wrong place. But it's up to us to audit some of these things, alert them to it, and get them to change as soon as they can to bring it back online. I do know that many of the sports stadia are also accommodating, and that's because they understand that there are many people with disabilities who like attending their sports, their favorite sports. Um, so, yes, we are we, we have a community in South Africa that is looking to change, to accommodate, but it is a big task and there are those who will hide behind the financial restraints and some of them who take the gap and say, well, we're not obligated to do it. We will root out some of those. But generally, I think the attitudes have changed and people are enthusiastic about it. And I think for the likes of yourself, myself, the Hiltons, the Philips, um, the the Ari Services, and those of South Africa's disabled sector, if we keep on going out there and showing our faces, they're going to change for us.
1: Thank you, Russell, some interesting insights there. Today on A Different Way of Travelling, we've been talking with Russell Wolmer on the topic of universal access, specifically here within South Africa, and looking at some of the, the insights and constraints that impact on the tourism and hospitality industries making themselves more willing and able to accommodate the needs of persons with disabilities. Russell, thank you so much for the time. It's been fascinating to talk to you today.
2: Thank you, Lois. It's been an absolute pleasure to be part of your podcast. And to all of those out there, good luck as we fight the fight
1: conversation with Russell Volmer fascinating when looking at the intricacies of universal access. And certainly the conversation helped to answer a few of the questions that I had, although I think it's still a conversation that we should revisit every now and then. Now it's time for our service provider spotlight. This is a segment where we spotlight or showcase a service provider who is making attempts accommodate those of us with special needs and today we're visiting a guest house in Somerset West which is about 45 minutes outside of Cape Town in the Western Cape in South Africa. Somerset View Guest House has accessible facilities both in the communal areas including parking, access to the dining room, the swimming pool and public spaces but also has facilities in a room with an accessible bathroom. And where needed, if there is a caregiver who needs a separate room, there is an interleading room to allow them to be near, but yet have space of their own. You can find out more details about the Somerset View Guesthouse on the Accessible South Africa website, www.accessiblesouthafrica.com under the Accommodations tab, and there you'll find photographs, directions, and a contact number. Because as always, we recommend that you look at the information given on the site, but then double check with the service provider to ensure that your personal needs can be accommodated before you arrive. the things that I really enjoy about researching the travel quotes that I use in each episode is that they allow me to really distill what I think about travel, why I love travel, and the experience of going to new places and trying out new experiences. And today's quote is no exception. It's from Oliver Wendell Holmes, and he said, a mind that is stretched by a new experience can never go back to its old dimensions and for me that really does encapsulate so much about what I love about travel it's been really great having you with us on today's episode of A Different Way of Travelling thanks so much for joining us thanks for listening and we hope to see you next time
0: that's it from us for this time you can find Accessible South Africa on the web at accessiblesouthafrica.co.za or on Facebook and Instagram at Accessible South Africa or on Twitter at Accessible SA. You can also email us at podcast at accessible Editing by Deirdre Gower. Our theme music is by Louis Chichao, based on a motif by Lois Strachan. Credits read by Andre Toy, the big positive guy. Thanks for joining us on Accessible South Africa Travel Podcast. We'll see you next time, and until then, happy travels.